We read together to remind us of where we are going, that is towards Jesus, allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. Glad you're with us. Maybe you're new around here. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors, and joy to have you online or in the room. If you have a copy of the scriptures, either printed or digital, would you join me in Matthew chapter 13? And uh, while you're turning there or maybe using the QR code on the screen to get there digitally, I uh, wanted to share a couple things with you. Number one, uh, Connect Group season is here. Groups are launching today. And uh, so make sure you get signed up for a group. There's a lot of great ones out there. There's a couple different studies that are going on as well. Uh, we mentioned just a couple of them in our Next Step video there talking about Alpha, where you can really explore why are we here. Ask some of the bigger questions and explore what does faith look like? What does it mean? What is the Bible? Who is God? Who is the Holy Spirit? Highly recommended. And then we have another one called Freedom, which helps you look Look towards your future by overcoming the things that are in your rearview mirror. In other words, it helps you deal with some of the, the wounds and the realities of life so that you can find healing, wholeness, and freedom as you move forward in your faith. And so those are out there. And uh, everybody, you say this with me. Say, I will, I will. join a connect group. So help me God, or I shall burn. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't say those. Don't say those parts. But seriously, get in a group. Uh, no, it's great. Hey, one, one last thing I wanted to, to mention and to kind of celebrate one of our staff members, Jarrett Thorpe, he and his wife, Jessica. She uh, gave birth to their fourth baby, their second baby girl on Wednesday this past week, Brecklin Kate Thorpe. She is an absolute doll and uh, we're excited and celebrating with them. So Jared, Jessica, congratulations. Uh, you be praying for them, not just because it's baby number four, because it's baby number four under the age of nine. Come on, Somebody pray for them. We've got two other of our staff members. Uh, their families are expecting babies coming later this year, first of next year. So uh, y'all pray for my staff. Pray for me. And uh, just be, be known, let it be known. My staff knows how to obey the word of God. They know how to apply God's word to their lives and are fruitful and multiplying. They're doing their part to grow the kingdom of God. And uh, you can participate too in growing the kingdom of God. I'm just saying, maybe invite a friend to church. Invite a friend to church. Or who knows, God's going to find growth somewhere. I'm just saying, don't take the chance. Invite a friend to church. I'm in trouble. I'm already in deep water. I don't know. Y'all, help, help me, Lord. Matthew chapter 13. Let's go to the Bible, shall we? Matthew chapter 13. We've been in this collection of sermons exploring the King Jesus gospel. What is the gospel Jesus proclaimed? 
we want to start with that so we don't end up with a gospel that Jesus did not proclaim. And uh, we've been walking through this and we're in Matthew chapter 13. We're starting in verse 24 for episode 24. Here we go. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. What kind of seed? Good seed. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Here is another illustration Jesus used. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration, saying the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman used in baking bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Verse 36. Then, leaving the crowd outside. How many of you were here last week? Just kind of wave your hand. You know something is happening. He said, leaving the crowd outside. There is a difference that Matthew is drawing in this chapter. A difference and a distinction and a contrast between the crowds and the disciples. Crowds and disciples, look at what happens. Then leaving the crowd outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples then said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are angels. Verse 40, Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from the kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Pause. For those of you Bible nerds, been around church for a little while, who is it that is removed from the world when he returns? To evil ones. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about what happens when Jesus returns. 
Next week, we're talking about hell. It's going to be lit. Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't refuse. It just, I saw it coming. It was like a slow pitch right down the middle. I just, I couldn't refuse. Sorry, bad preacher jokes. It's the evil and the evildoers that are removed from the world. We're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. It's going to be fun. Maybe not as fun. I'm a little stressed about it, to be honest, but the Lord will get me through it. It'll be good. And the angels will throw them in the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't sound like a party. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Let's pray. Jesus, these are your words, not ours. Would you help us be those who listen and understand? Would you help us be more like the disciples who grow in knowledge and understanding and not like the crowd who just hears and don't understand? So give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart ready to receive your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I, uh, I'm the type of person that I don't like things left undone right? Like things get started, I want to finish it, and then I feel better. There's a couple projects that we have kind of around our house right now that have been undone for a lot of weeks. And every so often, daily, uh, I have this little reminder in my head, like, are you going to get that done? When are you going to do that? You got to finish that. It's really not going to take you that long, but really, like, and it's just like this nagging thing where I can't really be at ease fully knowing I have things left to do. It's just kind of how I am. One of the, the areas where this shows up the most most uh, intense in my life, though, is um, in the area of movies or TV series that I'm watching. I don't like the story left undone. You know what I'm talking about? Like at the end of a season, they like leave you on a note and you're like, what's going to happen? Are they going to live? Are they going to die? Who's going to, is like, I remember when 24 was the series, like, is Jack Bauer going to save the day? It's been forever. Is he ever going to like, and these cliffhangers, these storylines that are left undone and like, you're just like uneasy. Like what's going to happen? What's going to happen? This is the beauty of things like Netflix, right? Because you can wait for an entire show to be done with and then binge watch all of it and never have to deal with that anxiety. Isn't that wonderful? I don't like these storylines left undone. The good news is we've talked about the King Jesus gospel is when Jesus arrived, his first advent, he came to finish out a storyline that had already begun for years and years before. From the beginning of creation, throughout the story of God's people, the law and the prophets, God had been telling a story about redemption. And when Jesus arrived, that story was not yet fulfilled. It was not done. It was not complete. There was no re real redemption for permanent relationship. There was temporary. There was a covering. There was, it wasn't a full picture finished. And Jesus showed up and fulfilled and finished that story through his life, through his death and crucifixion, through his burial, through his resurrection, through his ascension and his enthronement into heaven. He fulfilled and finished out the story line about redemption, making it possible for all humans who would choose to believe and put their faith in Jesus could receive his redemption. It was the completion of a storyline. The story was over. It was done. We're like, ah, oh, that's why they were sacrificed. Oh, that's why they said this. That's why this was there. It was all about redemption that leads to a personal relationship. 
That was the story Jesus fulfilled. But when he came, he also started a new storyline that has yet to be fulfilled. This second storyline was a story all about renewal. How Jesus came and pronounced and announced the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. The good news of the kingdom of God is now come. But it's not yet fully arrived either. We live in a season and a time and a dispensation of time where we live in the already but the not yet fully here. Jesus said the kingdom of God has come. He taught us to pray saying when you pray, pray our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Part of what we do in prayer is asking God to hurry and hasten the full arrival of heaven. Where there is a new heaven and a new earth. Where there is a full renewal of the entire cosmos. Where there is a new heaven and a new earth. No more tears. No more weeping. No more sorrow. New resurrected bodies and life on earth. Where God makes his dwelling in flesh and blood. In reality among his people again. And all of evil is removed. All evil doers are vanquished. And that which is causing the decay of God's good world is removed and we see the renewal and the restoration of God's good world permanently resting here and now. It's coming but it's not yet fully here. It started and the story is ongoing and we understand and see that story unfold in our world and our time but it has not yet reached its full conclusion. The good news is, just like Netflix, you can fast forward to the last season and the last episode and see what happens. When you get into the book and you read the story, Jesus already tells us what happens in the end. Spoiler alert, good wins, evil loses. Nah, 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 nah. Like it, it's already done. It's going to happen. But the storyline itself, while we know what happens in the end, it has not been experienced yet. It's still something in the process. And Jesus was using these parables, these stories, these illustrations to teach, to communicate, to lay the groundwork and tell the story of the coming kingdom of God. To come and understand the kingdom of God and the renewal of humanity yet again. And what would happen in that season of time. And so today I want to look at, and next week we're going to do the same thing, kind of stay in this section in Matthew 13 and, and look more uh, specifically at the end of some of this story. But I want to look at and share a few kingdom truths that Jesus was hinting at, telling us about in these parables so that we can see the story of renewal about the kingdom clearly in our eyes. I want to share with you some kingdom truths today. Here's kingdom truth number one that Jesus was telling us about. Here's this one. Evil exists in our world. It exists. Brokenness abounds. Evil is rampant. Selfishness turned upside down and everywhere. Evil exists because Satan is real. Why does evil exist? Because Satan exists. 
There's a, a really alarming stat that says over, I think, over 50% of people who profess and call themselves Christians do not believe Satan is real. Don't believe that there's a, a malevolent force of evil intentionally trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. I am not among that group. I would hope that you have become some not among that group as well. Why do I believe Satan is real? Because Jesus said Satan is real. Like just, Jesus was like, no, 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 he's real. Real evil, real nasty, not a party. In fact, in John 10, 10, he said, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. We've, we've already talked about the strategy that the evil one has in our life. He has a strategy to totally destroy you and to, to get you to be some of the weeds growing among the wheat of God. He, he wants you to become a weed, not the wheat. He, he wants some uh, uh, more King James versions would say the tares among the wheat. Some of you would be familiar with that phrase. It's just a, a, a breed of weeds that would grow. And Jesus is letting you know the enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He is intentionally sowing seeds of weeds into your life. How does he do it? We've talked about it. His strategy is really simple. He wants to tell you lies that align and play to the disordered desires that already exist in your heart. And then you look around and see them normalized in the world around you. Normalized in a sinful society. Here it is. There's an event that happens. Somebody does something to you. You don't like it. You don't like them. You're not really sure you want to do ever say anything kind or nice to them again. In fact, you really want to get them back and pay vengeance. And so the enemy says you're going to feel better if you pay them back. So you believe that that is better if you pay them back. Then you look around and inside you're like, you know what? It would really be better. I would feel better if I paid them back. I could slice their tires. I could spread some rumors. I could make it so that they never have a good job again. I really don't like them. I don't think they're worth they're not even deserving it really I think that would make me feel better to get them back and say how I really feel and think what I want to feel and you look around like everybody else is doing it why wouldn't all of my friends are telling me I should get back at them and I shouldn't give them a time of day and I shouldn't forgive them and I should stay bitter and we just begin to live this out again and again and again and again in our lives in every area of our lives where the enemy comes and whispers lies to us and the only reason we believe them is because they sound true within us Because for many of us, we have grown to a place where the highest form of truth is our own self-truth. In other words, lies are aligning with our own disordered desires. And it shows up in every area of our life. And the enemy is coming to sow seeds that leads to weeds. Listen, listen. The species of seeds, the breed of seed that you seed into your life will determine whether you are a weed or wheat in the end. When you sow God's word into your life, you are sowing the seed that is good that produces the wheat of your life. But when you sow the way of the world, the world system, how the world wants to tell you to think and propagate what is true and not true, and you sow that into your life, you are sowing seeds of weeds that will grow. 
please, please, please hear me. God's word is the good seed that you need to have planted in your life. You will not flourish as wheat in this world without God's word. That doesn't mean that everyone who reads God's word automatically becomes wheat. So you can legalistically approach that all you want. Satan himself knows what God's word says. He ain't going to become wheat. Every time I've talked with somebody or I've seen somebody or I know people who have walked with the Lord or all of a sudden they have fallen into sin. They've walked away from God. They've, they've, they've gone a different direction and things have derailed in their life, although it used to be on the rails. Every single time, one of the common denominators is they stopped reading God's word. Why? Because what you seed into the soil of your life will produce and be evident in your life. And if you want to see the wheat of God growing in your life, then you have to seed those things into your life. And the way we seed and what we seed is reading God's word. Because if all you do is seed the weeds of the world and their ways and their entertainment and their songs and their things and their beats and their ways, all you're doing is seeding those things back into the soil of your heart. And it will produce. It will produce something in your life. And the truck, the trick is that so many of the things that we think are good wheat are actually weeds. You ever uh, known little kids uh, to go and pick flowers for their mom? Anything with color is a flower to them. Even though what they're picking is actually just a bunch of weeds and causes you allergies, they still bring it to you proud as if they found you the most beautiful flowers in the world, right? And there's not a mom out there to be like, oh, sweetie, that's a weed. Don't ever do that again. Right? They're like, oh, bless your heart, right? Kids don't know the difference. Why? Because they have not trained themselves to know the difference between what is a weed and what is a flower. Many believers, people sitting in church week in, week out, have not trained themselves to discover what is wheat and what is a weed. In fact, Jesus said it like this, there are weeds growing among the wheat. Don't look up and down your row right now. You won't be able to tell. <laughs> but chances are, it's what he said. The weeds and the wheat almost look indistinguishable. Because you can look the Sunday part all you want. The weeds and the wheat look Identical. In fact, most theologians believe uh, and Bible scholars believe that the, the type of weeds that Jesus would be referring to would be something called darnel, which is a specific uh, weed seed that is grown, especially in the Midwest and that climate and that region, and it would grow undistinguishable. It would look exactly like wheat, and it would choke out the very wheat itself. It's meant to take over and destroy. It's actually a poisonous weed. It's not that it's just inconvenient. It's that it's poison. 
but you can't tell whether it's good or bad. It's poison. Now, I'm a terrible at this. I am not a herbiculturalist. Did I even say that word right? No, I didn't say that word right. That's why I'm not one. <laughs> I, like, I don't know plants. I, I couldn't tell you if it was a four-leaf clover or poison ivy. And it's okay because I'm not allergic to either, so it doesn't bother me one bit. And I've spent plenty of time in the poison ivy on our golf course, let me tell you. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you the difference. We'd be driving down the back roads of Kansas, which is like every road in Kansas, but we'd be driving down, and I'd be like, oh, babe, look, it's corn. She's like, no, baby, those are soybeans. I'm like, well, I like corn, though. Some of you are laughing extra hard because you spent too much time on TikTok lately. Like, I can't tell the difference. But you know who can? Somebody with a trained eye for what is true and what is not true. I heard recently about a, a, a somebody who works in the counterfeiting department for our government. In other words, their, their job is to identify counterfeit bills in circulation. And someone said to them, oh man, you must spend a lot of time like researching the chemicals and looking at counterfeit money and looking at all the things that, 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 that would be used in producing counterfeit money. And they says, absolutely not. We spend no time looking at counterfeit money. We spend all of our time studying, examining, feeling, getting to know intimately what the real thing is. Because when you know what the real thing feels like, looks like, smells like, you're not even tricked for a minute what the counterfeit looks like. Friends, I'm here to tell you it's time that we get the seed of God's word into our lives, knowing what the truth is, so that when the counterfeit truths are whispered into our ear, we are able to say that ain't even true. Get out of here with that nonsense. And we're able to take captive every thought and make it obedient to the word of Jesus Christ as 2 Corinthians 10 tells us to do. Because when you spend time knowing the real, you aren't falling for the counterfeit. And the enemy of your soul wants you to become a weed instead of growing as wheat. And he is seeding these things in your life. And if we do, and, and, and we've got to realize that he is after it. And friends, I think it's so interesting. Jesus said, let the weeds grow at the same time the weed is growing. Did you notice that? Drove me crazy. Like, come on, can we just like get rid of the evil? Can we just get rid of the weeds? Can we just like stop all the evil? Can we just like fix it all right now and remove it all and renew it all and do it all right now? And God's like, yeah, in time we will. But that's not your job. That's God's job. God is the one who is going to sort out weeds and wheat. Your job is just continuing to see the right inside of your heart. And I get it. We, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, I really do believe that we ought not be judging other people and trying to, that's a weed. Stop it. Just stop it. But at the same time, you know who the people who are the most quick to say, y'all ought not be judging other people, are people who are already feeling a little conviction from the Lord and they know they've been seeding the wrong things in their life anyways. But it's hard to sit and wait. I want evil to be gone right now. I want sickness to be gone right now. I want pain to be gone right now. I want deception and lies and I want truth revealed and I want all of those things. But it's not your job. God's going to do it in the end. He's the one who's going to take it. He's the one who's going to do the sorting out as it comes. Which leads us to kingdom principle number two. Patience 
is a reality of the kingdom that we must embrace. Patience and perseverance is about a loyalty and a trust over time, no matter the situation, no matter how much evil exists around us, no matter the pressures of our world, no matter how convenient and how good the world looks, remaining faithful and true to Jesus is a test of our faith and our perseverance that in the end we must be willing to embrace. And if we are resisting the testing, if we are resisting those moments, if we are resisting those things and running from it and insulating it and trying to play both sides, riding two horses with one backside, it won't work. Patience and perseverance builds our faith. Patience and perseverance builds our character. And patience and perseverance helps us become refined by the refining fire of the Lord. And listen, if you reject the refining fire of the Lord in your life and in your faith, then you are opening yourself up to the dangers of experiencing the judgment wrath flames in the end. So we either allow him to purify us now while we can still become wheat or it may happen in the end when we're bundled up with the rest of the weeds. We're going to talk more about that next week though. Let's talk about patience for just a second. I know it's our favorite thing, waiting, waiting for the story to be finished, waiting for God to finish writing it. But here's what 1 Peter 1, chapter 5 through 9 says. Write that reference down, read it later. I'm going to read it right now. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. This is wonderful joy ahead for us, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that you have faith and it is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with the glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward, don't miss this, for trusting him in the meantime, in the here and now, the, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 11 says it like this. By his divine power, God's power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Stop, drop the mic. That was legit right there. God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. He's given it to you in the person of the Spirit, through the Word of God, and through the community of the saints. He's given you everything you need within you, before you, and around you to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us a great and precious promise. These are the promises 
that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires, disordered desires. I'm not making this stuff. It's in the Bible. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance. Somebody say patient endurance. And patient endurance, add in it to it godliness and godliness, brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he trying to say? If you want to add self-control, if you want to add patience, if you want to add brotherly kindness, if you want to add these things, you're going to do it because you seed the right thing into the soil of your life. And when you seed the right thing into the soil of your life, you will grow and develop in this way. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who refuse and fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sin. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things. Practice the way of Jesus, in other words, and you will never fall away then God will give you grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me go to one more set of scriptures as it relates to patient endurance, continuing in our loyalty, continuing in our trust, continuing to sow the right things into our lives so we keep growing as wheat and we limit the amount of weeds we're growing. This is what he says in James chapter 1. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom on how to continue to develop and staying true in your faith while you're being tested, ask for wisdom in our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Pause. Is it possible to have a loyalty and a faith in multiple places? Yeah. Because you could be sowing seeds of weeds and seeds of wheat. And the stronger will always win out. He says it like this. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea and is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything that they do. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tested, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires will give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is, all, is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. 
So don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from God our Father, who created all lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, become his prized possessions. What's the reality of the kingdom? Patience is a reality that we have to embrace. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of recognizing that in one moment of surrender, it actually requires a lifetime of obedient allegiance of taking steps in the direction of God. It takes us continually sowing the seeds of the wheat instead of choosing to love the way of the world and do the things of the world and feed in and become a double-minded person, unstable in all our ways because we're trying to ride two horses with one backside. And like a wave tossed around, storms come in our lives. And the test of whether your faith has been seated correctly is how you respond when you are tested. Not necessarily tempted, but tested by God tested in our world is our faith going to prove genuine loyal allegiant or are our loyalties going to be divided among other things that are good but not God Jesus is asking you and telling these parables to help you understand your loyalty and your allegiance matters your loyalty and your allegiance is showing friends because it's evident based on what you have seeded into your life, what you are consuming, the things you're feeding yourself with, the things you're focusing on, talking about, giving your affection to. Here's the last kingdom truth, though. Don't miss this. When it comes to the kingdom of God, it only takes a little. It only takes a little to grow big faith. It only takes a, a little repentance to experience a lot of his forgiveness. It only takes a little moment of, Holy Spirit, will you come now? I need you. To experience a full dose of his ability and power to keep walking the path that he's called you to walk. It only takes a little bit of surrender to experience a lot of his salvation. It only takes a little bit of, I, I was blind, God. I need to see to experience the eyes being opened to see the kingdom that he's got. It only takes a little bit of, I'm going the wrong way and I need to go the different direction to experience the fullness and the flooding of the kingdom of God into the, to this world. It only takes a little bit of surrender to experience a lot of salvation. You might be sitting there thinking, okay, well, how, do, how does all this work? Like, I need to get the God's word in my heart, and that's the right seed. I, I get it. But, but like, Pastor, you don't understand. Like, evil is everywhere. I am tempted everywhere. I am struggling in this thing. And, and I, I'm trying to be more morally excellent, but I keep being a little morally less than excellent. And, and I keep wanting to do the right thing, but I say the wrong thing all the time. And foot, mouth, and it's not good. And, and I'm not adding to my faith brotherly kindness. And I feel a little bit off this way. And I've got a lot of things that I love to do and my kids love to do. And we've got a lot of priorities and, and this and that. And, and, and I'm just here to tell you you have to learn the distinguish between the good and the God. You have to know what is the difference because weeds look a lot like wheat. 
And sometimes we feel overwhelmed with the evil around us. We feel overwhelmed like, man, I can't live this godly life. I can't do the things that I need to do. I can't forgive. I can't hope. I can't this. And your, your, your allegiance is in a tug of war. You want to know how you grow stronger? How your allegiance grows stronger towards the things of God? Worship. Worship. What is the universal sign of surrender? I, I give up. Not me. I'm, I'm surrendering. Here's God. I surrender. A little bit of surrender to God brings about a fullness of salvation within us. A little bit of worship develops a strength of affection and allegiance to God alone. We, we said last week that your words matter because your words reinforce your thoughts and your thoughts direct your life and the direction of your life reveals your allegiance, right? Words influence your thoughts and your thoughts influence your, your heart and your heart influences your affections and your affections determine your allegiance, your loyalty, your direction. So if I'm feeding myself words and thoughts and things that are moving me in the direction of the ways of the world and I'm struggling and I'm worried and I'm down and I'm depressed but I begin to change a little bit of worship and I begin to lift my hands just a little and I begin to sing a little bit to the Lord and I sing a little bit more to the Lord my affection begins to grow when we are singing the songs that we sang today friends we're riddled and full of the truth of who God is and what we believe they were words that were forming the right thoughts and those thoughts were cultivating something in our hearts and in our hearts affection moves us in an allegiant direction to Jesus and a little bit of worship and a little bit of surrender and a little bit of praise to God goes a long way in cultivating your lifelong allegiance to God. And some of us are spending all of our time worshiping, giving our affection to things that do not help cultivate our allegiance to Jesus. They actually are dividing our loyalty away from Jesus. And some of us, we find ourselves in a place where we feel stuck. We feel bound. We feel unable. We want to get over the addiction. We want to get over the pattern of behavior. We want to get over our attitude. We want to get over the bitterness. We want to get over the darkness. We want to get through it. And we want, we want our allegiance. We want our loyalty. We want it to be to Jesus. But we find ourselves struggling. Because our allegiance is showing, our affection is growing in the wrong direction. A, friends, a little bit of what a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus goes a long way to growing your affection in the right way. Worship is the thing that will break through what has held you back for so many years.
Worship is the thing that will help you grow in your allegiance. Some of you, you come in here week after week and you hear the songs and it's not your personality. I'm just not an expressive personality. I didn't, I didn't grow up. Some of you, it wasn't your, your church background or, or maybe you had no church background at all. And it's just like, I, I don't know. It's not really my, I mean, I'm not really expressive. It's not really my personality. I'm not, I'm not crazy like pastor is. He's a little bit, he's a little bit, hey, hey, yeah. Like, I, I get it. Can, can I tell you something? I actually don't like lifting my hands in public. I feel incredibly insecure in those moments. I absolutely do not like at all kneeling in worship. But I do them often because I refuse to allow my personality, my perspective, or my preference to keep me and limit my allegiance from Jesus growing. I refuse. Not to mention, God is worthy of the worship. He's the one getting the worship. And he said, this is what worship looks like. He didn't say it looks like just singing quietly and I'm just going to keep my hands in my pocket and I refuse to, nope, not just, good work, that's good. I I like that song they play. That was a good bass lick. I like that bass sound right there. That was good. That's not worship. And you wonder why you keep falling away and weeds are growing in your life. You don't have the power to overcome. You're not moving in an opposite direction. You're not actually allowing your affection and your allegiance to move you in the right direction. Because your worship is more about you than it is about him. We, we all worship something. We, we all are expressive in our affections about something. It is NFL Sunday, by the way. And I will be cheering at a TV when good things happen for my teams today. I will be cheering, clapping, yeah, like no problem with it. And many of you will have no problem either. And you're going to tell me it's not your personality. No, it's just not your affection. It's a heart that is yet to be surrendered. That's what it is. Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much know how to demonstrate much love. Acts of worship are acts of adoration and demonstration of worship to a king who's worthy of even more. We all worship. Some of you are perfectly comfortable lifting your adult beverage and swaying along to the Garth Brooks song with your friends at the concerts and you have no problem demonstrating your affection Don't you, We all worship and we all give our affection. The problem is our loyalties aren't always in the right direction. Today, in uh, first service worship, we were, sit, we were worshiping, we were singing. And we got to this part of what a beautiful name it is, that song, and we'd already declared, you know, the gospel of who Jesus is and Oh, so rich, so good today. And we were worshiping, and, I, and, and there was a, a sense of necessary intercession and prayer that came over my heart in first service. And often when that happens, my first response is to begin praying in the Spirit, pray, pray in tongues. 
And so I just began to do it right, right at my seat. Hands were up, eyes were closed, and I just began to pray. And as I prayed, it grew more intense. I, I, I could just tell there was something happening, some intercession, something going on spiritually that needed to occur. And I was doing a bit of battle, a, a bit of prayer intercession for something. And, and I just simply asked the Lord, Lord, what is happening right now? What is happening in this place, in these people? What is going on? What am I praying for? And why is it so intense? And I really felt like the Lord just whispered this, that there was a battle for our hearts and our allegiances that we've already been declared and worship is how you win them. In other words, there was a battle for your heart and your allegiance and your loyalty and worship happening in this room and those watching online. And those who were engaging in worship were beginning to win and their allegiance to God was growing stronger. And God was just reminding me in this moment that worship is how you win the battle. It is mighty in God to pulling down those strongholds. It is the way that we communicate, God, you are my everything. God, you are worthy of it all. Every name must bow to the name of Jesus. There is no demon in this earth that can keep me from you, Lord. That your love is stronger. Your word is greater. Holy are you, Lord. Mighty are you, Lord. There is affection and allegiance that grows with our worship. And worship is the breakthrough that many of you need. You want to know how to live a godly life? Worship more. You want to know how to do things in a way that honors God? Worship more. You want to find yourself in a place where you know God is the treasure of all in your life. You worship more because he's worthy of more praise. If you want to win that battle, worship. And if you don't want to win that battle, don't worship. It's 100% your choice. You can grow weeds or you can grow as wheat. As for me and my house, we will stay surrendered to the Lord. And a little bit of surrender brings a lot of salvation into our lives. Amen? Would you stand with me? If you would, go ahead and grab your communion elements. If you receive them on the way in and you can open them up and get the bread out. Then once you have the bread, you can kind of flip it over and open the juice. And if you would, once you've got both opened and in your hand, would you just close your eyes for a minute? Just take a moment. Communion is one of those acts of our surrender. It's an act of our worship. It's an act of our gratitude for the redemption that Jesus has given to us. Today, I want to, before we take communion, I want to do something different. I want to give you an opportunity in a really safe, encouraging environment to worship on your own, in your own words, to start winning and growing in your allegiance today. So this is what I want you to do. Eyes are closed. You don't need to look around. Lift your hands as high as you can or are willing to. And we're going to take 25 seconds. And I want you to open your mouth 
and you begin to give God praise. You begin to pour out your affection on him. Could just be simply, Jesus, I love your name. Jesus, thank you for saying. Could be simple as that. Let's, ready? 25 seconds. Let's give him some worship. Jesus, we love you. We honor you, God. You're, you're worthy of all, all praise. Jesus, I give you my heart and my affection and my allegiance. God, I surrender to you. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're my Master. You're my King. Jesus, we adore you. We worship you. We, we honor you, Lord. We, we give you praise today, God. We thank you that worship is the way we win the war, the way we move from, from full of weeds to growing as wheat. God, worship is, is, is our weapon to win. Jesus, we love you. You're so worthy. So worthy. Holy is your name, Jesus. Holy is your name, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we want to grow in our love for you and our thanks for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, as we stand here with our hearts surrendered and our hands up, we ask Jesus that you would move in close, that you would be loved and adored through our worship today. Lord, we thank you for this bread that we hold in our hand and the juice that we're grabbing. Lord, these were simple, practical things to remind us of your love for us, your affection for us, and the payment that you made for our redemption. So, Lord, as we take this bread that represents your body and this juice that represents your forgiveness, Lord, we receive them with just full affection and adoration for what you've done for our lives. We've been forgiven of so much, God. And we surrender our lives as an act of worship today. Thank you for this bread. Let's take the bread together. Lord, thank you for this juice which represents your forgiveness. We receive it with gratitude. Let's take the juice. Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with affection for you. You would help us recognize that our words, our worship plays a role in our affection and our allegiance growing, our loyalty towards you growing. So Lord, this week, would you help us to be people who read your word and who worship your great name? With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we pray. Lord, I pray a blessing over your people that you would bless them and keep them this week, that you would make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. Lord, you would lift up your countenance towards them and give them your great peace. We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, demonstrating what love looks like, and the Holy Spirit who abides in us always, we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. 
Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, you're, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.